blame oh, him I was you can the one blaming him with that. that. Austin Matthews. Very good two-way forward. Nobody's saying Carson wants us to go. All your team suck, Parker. Pick one. And before Miami fan over here starts talking. Blasphemous. And I'll tell you why. What does that tell you? He's terrible. I'm not out here saying Tom Brady's bad. Yeah, you are. Listen, Gary. <laughs> I'm saying pick it. What's going on, everyone? It's Daft Ticks. This week, we have Parker, as always. Hello. And we have Adam again for our Legacy Series. Hello. So this week, we have our top three plays, either that make or break our teams or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And we also have our, we'll call it the top 10, top 15 predictions for the NHL mock draft, uh, which we will revisit in June when we have another guest on our show when we do our full mock drafts. So, Parker, lead us away. What do you want to start with first, the plays or the mock draft? I think the mock draft would be fun to start with. All right, well, we'll start with number one. And if this isn't consensus, then we're not paying attention. Parker, why don't you tell us who your pick for the mock draft number one is? All right, this one's easy. Alexis Lafreniere. He had an MVP performance for Canada at the uh, World Juniors. And he's only 18. He's by far the most talented player available. And... He's an easy number one. He's going to be a McDavid, uh, Crosby. Uh, he's going to be really good. And he's going to be the first truly superstar number one that we've had in the draft since, I would say, Austin Matthews. That's a good comparable, yeah. All right, Adam? If it's not Lafreniere, there's a problem. That's my consensus pick. If we all agree, say I. Yeah. I mean, obviously... Lafreniere, we've been high on him for a while. If he's not the number one pick, I'd be... I'll be I'm not even going to say if. He is the first consensus pick in the draft since Connor McDavid. Because even Austin Matthews, people at the end there were like, oh, maybe, maybe Line A. No, we know for a fact Lafreniere is going to be number one. And like Parker said, he's got that first real superstar game-breaking talent since Matthews did. Nobody since him has been this good or has this much potential. Now, with that said, the rest of this draft will probably vary greatly. So, Parker, who is your number two? I might get a little bit of slack here, but I still have my number two as Quinton Byfield. I think in any other, I don't want to say any other draft, but in most other drafts, I think he would be a number one. Like, especially in, like, the Nico Heischer draft, he would definitely have been number one. I think I could be a number one in Nico Heischer's draft. Jack Hughes draft, he probably could have been number one, too. Yeah, that's actually a good point, yeah. The thing is with Byfield is that not only is he a really skilled player and he's also really fast, but he's also huge. This guy is like six foot four. Yep. And he has a unique blend of pure raw talent and size that like who's who's another guy we could compare him to? Like Ryan Getzlaff maybe? Great one. I, I think Blake Wheeler's a better comparable. Yeah, I think or, he, I think he could be better than Blake Wheeler. Yeah, maybe even like Corey Perry. In his prime? Yeah. Adam, who's your number two? My two pick is also Quentin Byfield. I've seen surprisingly more tape of Byfield in what I've looked up of this uh, draft class as opposed to Lafreniere, but I still, what I read on Byfield, he's going to be my number two. Like Parker had said, in, in almost a lot of other drafts the past decade, Byfield would be your number one. Okay. Yep, I, I think Byfield is a really good player. However... And number two, I have Tim Stutzel. Stutzel was great at the Holinka tournament, I'm pretty sure it was. And he was also good at the World Juniors. He 
came onto the scene. He was sort of like one of those players who floated for a little while in the middle. And he has the immense potential to really be that good. Like, I think of him as comparable to Brady Kachuk. Like, he's kind of a finesse player, kind of a major skill player, though. And I think an even better comparable would be that of his countryman, Leon Dreisaitl, a former number two overall pick. And I think if you're given the option again, would you not take somebody like Leon Dreisaitl? I mean, I think there's a lot of comparables from this to the 2015 draft and whatnot. So, with that pick, I would take Tim Stutzel. Parker, how about your number three? Yeah, my number three is going to be Tim Stutzel, Stutzel, however you pronounce it. I mean, it's really a toss-up between him and Byfield. They're both really good players. And Stutzel, he really came on strong second half of his career at wherever he played in Germany. Uh, yeah, I forget. It's like exactly. his stock rose, like, yeah. really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's unique because he has a left shot. And... He could play anywhere on the ice. He's really fast, great vision and puck handling. The guy's logged huge minutes over in Germany. He's going to be, like, I think he's going to be really good. I think he could be better than Byfield, but I think Byfield's the better all-around player right now. And that's why I put Byfield ahead of Stutzel. Okay. Adam? My number three, I actually have Jamie Drysdale, who I believe is, is the best defenseman in this upcoming draft. I've seen some of his comparables be like Drew Doughty. And when you have the thought of having Drew Doughty in his prime in this kind of draft, going at the third pick, I think he makes sense going number three. Okay. That's a good one. I think Drysdale's good. Um, before I get my pick, I just want to correct. I said Drysdale was number two. He was number three. My bad. For my number three, I actually would go with Lucas Raymond. I think when you look at what the team is going to be that's going to get number three, I really think it's probably going to follow the Senators there. And I think right now they need a complimentary winger to Brady Kachuk. I think they're okay down the middle at the moment. They do need a star center, but I don't think they're going to get it here. And I think they're going to skip by field and they're going to go right for Raymond, getting a player who is, for all intents and purposes, the best passer in the draft, just pure passer. And I think he'd be a really nice compliment on that Ottawa front line. Parker, how about your number four? Yeah, my number four would actually be Lucas Raymond. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Mitch Marner. He has great hands, like you say, he's the best passer in our draft. But another thing is that his team in Sweden, they rely on him to kill penalties. Already, he has a pretty well-rounded game. He's also got the best haircut in this draft. I don't know if you've seen it. He's got a pretty (laughs) ball in haircut. All right, Adam, how about you? My next pick, this is where I would have Tim Stutzel. We've already talked about him, so I, I don't think I could really add much to what has already been said. Right. This is where I'd have Byfield. I don't think you see him fall any more than four. I don't even necessarily believe that he's going to get to four. I think it depends on what the teams are, but as it stands, I have him at number four. We've already talked about Byfield. He's a big rangey player, and he's super talented, so I think he falls here. All right, Parker, number five. All right, number five, this is where I have Jamie Drysdale. Okay. He's easily the best defenseman in the draft. He's an offensive defenseman. He could take top defensive assignments without issue. He's an outstanding skater, and I think he's going to be really good. He might be like a – I see him as a Brent Burns, but with the ability to have good defense. Okay. Very smart, yeah. He's, he's a talented player. I think he was also the captain of his Canada junior team, if I'm not mistaken. Adam? 
This is where I have Lucas Raymond, and not to just go talking about the same players all over the place. I mean, I he's where I have number five. I don't think I can really add too much to what okay. we've already said about him. Okay. Now, I want to preface my pick with this. If Montreal falls to this pick, like I'm currently looking at this mock draft, then it's not going to be this player. However, any other team, I think they pick Yaroslav because he is the first goalie in close to a decade that's been worth taking in the first round. I look at him and the talent he has and the upside he has, and we talked last year about Spencer Knight and how he could be in the top 20, and I think he actually was number 17. I think Yaroslav Askarov should be an inside top 10 pick and inside top 5 pick. He's not NHL ready, no goalie ever is, at least two seasons out. However, that might be the minimum and the maximum. I really think that this guy's going to break the game wide open. And the last goalie I can remember being this highly touted in the first round was Jack Campbell. And although he kind of faltered, like the Dallas Stars have already kind of taken fault for that with how they developed him. I think if Askarov is developed right, he's going to be the next big thing in goaltending. Even better than Knight. All right, Parker, number six. All right, number six, I have Alexander Holt. I see a lot of Alex Ovechkin and Patrick Laine in his game. He has the best shot in the class, and he could fire it from anywhere on the ice. And I think depending on what team he goes, he can make an impact immediately if they have a really good playmaker. Okay. All right, Adam? I would have to agree on that selection. He plays for the Ottawa 67s, correct? Uh, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I checked, he was playing in his native country, but he might have come over to junior. I'm not positive. Yeah, I think he's oh, okay. still playing in Sweden. I thought he was playing his first skill FD, but I could be wrong. Maybe your garden. Anyways, continue. Yeah, I'm kind of torn up between a couple players, but I, as more I'm thinking about it, his shot puts me in the position to pick him going at this spot as opposed to other players. So, yeah. All right, okay, that's fair. I went with somebody who... Uh, I think it's comparable to Sasha Barakov. I think if you look at how Anton Lundell plays, he's a complete player. And if there's anything that the NHL drafts lack, it's totally complete players. And I think the last one we saw was Barkov. Like, Lundell is comparable. I think he's actually finished as well. He's a big-ish center. He's strong on the puck, off the puck. He's got great game sense. And... I think any team would be lucky to grab him here. And I think when you look at players that are a little, like, very much less complete, like Holtz, who really only has one dimension to his game, I think if you're smart, you're going to go with the safe bet and go with Lundell. All right, Barker, you're next up. Number seven, I have Yaroslav Askarov. Obviously the best goalie in this class. Probably the best goalie prospect we've seen since Carey Price. Okay. Maybe. I think he's going to be better than Vasilevsky, easily. Okay. I think that's a comparable. Sure. He had a little bit of uneven play with Team Russia over at the World Juniors, but for the most part of his career, he's a big intimidating presence in net. Great athleticism, quick glove. It's good for a goalie to have a quick glove hand. I think whatever team gets him is going to have the next carry price. I think. Okay. All right, Adam, on to you. This is where I have the goalie, Yaroslav, as well. He Mock doesn't even try to say the last name. He just says Yaroslav. Askarov? There you Askarov. go. 
There it is. Yeah. The, the mock draft that I'm using basically says that in the top 10, New Jersey has a potential spot. So does Chicago and LA. And any single one of them that land within this threshold of this is our number seven pick could easily get their next version, like in Chicago's case, their replacement for Crawford or their replacement for Jonathan Quick or in New Jersey's case, they're not really sure if they want to make Mackenzie Blackwood their goalie for the future to come. With this goalie, he definitely brings that to the table. Okay, fair enough. This is where I have Jamie Drysdale going. I think he's going to fall a bit. Defensemen almost never get picked where they're supposed to. Look at Timothy Lygren. With that said, I think Drysdale's a much safer pick. I'd compare him more to Duncan Keith. I think he's safer defensively than Drew Doughty is. And I think he's honestly smarter than Drew Doughty is. That's not a shot at Doughty, but he's not the most good decision-making on the ice. I think most importantly, he's NHL ready. I don't think we see that with a lot of defensemen, but if he was in the right system, I could see him playing at some point in this year. If we play hockey this year, that is. (laughs) That's basically it. I just think he's a smart, rangy defenseman. Parker, number eight? Yeah, number eight, I have Marco Rossi. He's a little small, but we've seen undersized forwards play really well in the NHL. He's also the highest point getter in not only the OHL, but all of the Canadian Major Juniors with 105 points. Now, I know the OHL is known for scoring, but I can't exactly fault him for taking advantage of it. And I think, well, I don't know if he'll actually slip to eight, because none of us know what the order is right now for what teams are going. But I think I could easily see Rossi going to a team that is starved for points. Right. Okay. My pick kind of goes similar with that. My eighth spot, I have Anton Lundell. Once again, an OHL player. And the guy's got 52 goals this season. And with the type of shot that he brings, I, I, th- I don't see him dropping out of the top 10. That's Yeah, that's a good assessment. In this spot, I have Jake Sanderson. I think he's the second best defenseman in this draft, and not by a long margin either. I think he's great. He's been great at UND. He's only going to get better. He's not ready yet, but give him some time, and I think you're going to have an incredible defenseman on your hands. Something comparable to maybe Noah Hannafin or Aaron Ekblad. Yeah, I just think he's a good all-around player. All right, number nine, Parker. Yeah, number nine, I have Anton Lundell. Very smart, very strong two-way forward. He's also a left-handed shot, really good with puck possession, and he has really good hockey awareness for his age, and I think he's going to be really good with whatever team he goes to. It kind of reminds me of Jonathan Taves a little bit. Okay. Adam? My nine spot is where I have Marco Rosie going. We've already talked about him. Parker did a good job nailing all the points. Just I have him at nine as opposed to where where do you have him at like seven i am at eight. Oh, at eight yeah okay i'm gonna say this just to preface it i don't have holtz or rossi on my top 10 so getting that out of the way my number nine i have cole perfetti i think you look at somebody he's he's a little bit different than who was the who was this like the shorter winger last year that fell to like 20 parker you remember uh, he went to montreal uh, it'll, it'll come to me, but he uh, he reminds me a lot of him. He's got a good shot. I think he's actually got, in my personal opinion, the best shot in the draft. I love what Perfetti does, and I look at from, this is a callback to like 2012 or 2013. Oh, Cole Caulfield. Cole Caulfield, like the other Cole. 
I think about how Ty Benson played, and I think Cole Perfetti is everything Ty Benson cannot be. He's got a great shot. He's smart, but he doesn't lack that defensive awareness, and he's got speed to his game for a guy who I think is six foot one on skates. So ultimately, I think any team would be lucky to grab Perfetti at the spot if he's still available. That is. All right, and who is your last pick? Really want to say Perfetti. Okay, but I don't Ooh. see I don't see two undersized forwards going in the top ten. So uh, I'm gonna go with a more safer pick here. I'm gonna go with Jake Sanderson. He's okay. the second best defenseman in this draft. He's with the U.S. National Development Program, and the amount of really good players that they've have had the past couple of years is just absurd. And I personally think it's really cool that we're seeing all these really talented players come out of that program. And this guy's a freaking monster. He is an absolutely punishing defender. He's also a very smart player. And he has a pretty decent shot, too. I can see him being like a like like a Shea Weber, but not quite as heavy of a shot. But still a heavy shot, nonetheless. Okay. This is where I have Jake Sanderson as well. My mock draft board actually has him going at seven, but reading my own points along with this, I kind of feel like he's going to go 10, but no later maybe 11 depending on how many like how the draft board lines out in the end but second best defenseman in the draft is parker had said he's just i don't see the guy falling out of top 10 i don't have him quite as high as was it you chris who had him what was I it eight yeah. yeah i don't see him at eight but i don't see him out of the top 10 that's fair my last pick i'm gonna go off the board here because i'm not a believer in Rossi or Wellinder or Holtz, like a lot of people else are. And I do think at some point a team's going to take a shot at them. However, if I was drafting, there's two guys that stand out to me. That's Jeremy Poyer, who I think is a great player, but I don't think he's got the top end skill yet. My pick here, if I'm with NHL GM, is Shakir Bukamadaline out of Russia. He has just been tearing up the KHL. He's a big defender. He's six foot three already. He's 18 years old, so he's. You know, very young. He's not an overager like some guys. And honestly, I don't know why he's rated so lowly. I think it's because he's a KHL defenseman and they get a bad rap. But I compare him to Mikhail Sergachev. I think he's got everything you want out of a good defensive prospect. And honestly, he's got one thing that you can't put a price on, and that's big game potential. You can't put a price on clutch. And I think any team who gets Mukhamadaleen is going to be in for a surprise. He's also my pick for Best Jersey Award with his name. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think we talked about him once before. Uh, and uh, lastly, I wanted to take who do you think is the biggest bust in this draft? Or who do you think is going to fall, rather? Biggest faller, if you will. I think, ooh. I would have to say Jeremy Poirier. You think so? I mean, I mean, we said a couple shows ago that he was supposed to be, like, a consensus number one pick or like a like a top five pick at the very least and right now yeah, we've seen him fall to 20 he still needs to develop quite a bit of his game and i think depending on what team he goes to he might not get that development he has the chance to be a very 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 good player but that's with the right coaching staff around him if he doesn't get that and there's a decent chance he's not going to get that depending on where he goes he might just ultimately not pan out. And we've seen that happen with 
defensemen before. Defensemen take, for the most part, oh, wow. a very long time to develop in the NHL. Just yeah. now, actually, we're seeing the best of Aaron Ekblad, and he got drafted first overall in 2014? 13? I think it was 14, yeah. So that's what? six. That's six years of development for a number one overall pick? Now, I'm not saying that happens every defenseman, but that's just something to keep in mind with defensemen. Yeah, I mean, Poirier, like I said, I think he's got high-end potential, but he doesn't have it yet. If that makes any sense. I think it's something that's going to be coaxed out. And like you said, the right system. And the one thing that scares me about Poirier, and I, I love his attitude, and he seems like he's got his head on his shoulders, but the one thing that scares me is his comparables are all defensemen who have not been good defensively. And that's like Shane Gossespierre, for example. I think any team would take Shane Gossespierre, but you can't utilize him in every situation. I mean, you can't... Justin Schultz, same thing. You can't utilize a player like that in every situation. And if those are his comparables, and they're very fair comparables, I don't know how you market him as a first-round pick. You, you take those guys lower. There's a reason those players fall. That's because they're not complete. Yeah, and both of the... I don't think both of those players are good comparables to have because right now neither of them are good yeah they're both both... struggling really bad either with injuries or inconsistency goss's beer had that incredible point run his rookie year and then after that teams figured out teams figured out how to beat him yeah and it's because he played the game like a video game he would just run the puck up and you can't do that you've got to have elite vision elite skill and elite foot speed and he's not that fast, and I don't think Poirier is that fast. He's fleet-footed for sure, but he's not fast. And I think that's the difference maker for an elite defenseman. But Adam, we'll go to you now. We've been on Poirier for a minute or two here. My guy that I have dropping, my board actually has him at five, is Cole Perfetti. Okay. It kind of seems to me like it's going to be like that. I don't know what it is. I just have a vibe of Caulfield from last draft. Just like keep, keep dropping in the standings of where they were projected to go. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. It's, that, that's a very fair comparable, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it, it's really sad to say, but I feel like some teams are still very biased for undersized players, no matter how dominant they can be. Well, there's been a lot of talk about market inefficiencies. Like, I know Steve Daniels talked about market inefficiencies in his show. And at this point, we've basically driven all the goons out of the game. And right now, it's all small guys. So now you've got to adapt to be better than better small guys. So maybe that's what we're seeing with players like Perfetti and Caulfield. But I, I can't say for sure. My pick for biggest faller, if you will, I think Alexander Holtz. I personally never thought his game was all that good. I look at how Line A struggled, but one thing that Holtz doesn't have is that passing. Like, Line A is a great player, and even though he was struggling, he was still scoring timely points. He wasn't scoring goals, but he was still putting up points. I don't think Holtz has the potential. I think Holtz is, if you look at a player comparable, you said Ovechkin before, am I correct? I said Ovechkin and Line A, but I right. think, for me personally, it was just his shot that was okay. comparable, not him as the player. Because... I was going to say, because those are fair. However, the two things that stand out about those players are they're better at things other than just goal scoring, right? Like G just alluded to. Right. A player that I see Holtz being compared to is Alexander Summon. Nothing but goals. And if he can't score, he can't do anything. He's not good defensively. He's not a good passer. He doesn't have elite vision. He's not really that fast. And honestly, that one-dimensionality is what's going to hurt him. I don't. I, that being said... It's easier to teach a goal scorer how to check 
and how to play defense, and it is to teach a two-way how to score goals, right? So if you right. can get a goal score at that point in the draft, I think you take a target on it, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, you can't teach that goal scoring, but as your coaching staff, you're going to need to figure out a way to either round out his game or hide his game by right. surrounding him with Seltzer. two-way players. Like, if he goes to the Devils, just put him with <laughs> just put yeah. him with Heischer, and then Heischer can, or, or can make up for okay. a lot of his slack, but that's... Okay not good because eventually the team will figure that out right all right well that's our top 10 and our faller so we'll revisit this in june when we are going to have our daft picks like we usually do our daft picks draft picks whatever we call it we're going to do this show again probably remotely and we're going to try to have aaron on again we haven't had aaron on in in a few so he's usually the draft guy as well now we have our top three surprising plays so this is just kind of an idea We'll go around the table. Parker, we'll start with you. What's your... You know, it doesn't have to be in any order. Just pick a play that you thought was surprising. Yeah, this one's going to be from college football. This one was okay. back in 2009, and it was when Tim Tebow broke Herschel Walker's SEC rushing touchdown record. Okay. Uh, Herschel Walker was obviously Hall of Fame caliber running back. He was one of the best running backs in NFL history. But he was also... Probably the best running back to ever come out of the University of Georgia. He had 50 rushing touchdowns with his two or three years he was with Georgia. And then of all players, Tim Tebow, who was a quarterback, was the one who broke his rushing touchdown record. That stood for like 20, 30 years. And it was also, fun fact, (laughs) against Georgia when he did it. Okay. Tim Tebow is a freak athlete. So, yeah, I kind of figured you'd have him up there somewhere. My first play that I would have going is in all, also in college football is the heartbreak play in my mind is the from the 2013 Iron Bowl, the infamous kick six that CBS Sports decides to play every <laughs> single time Alabama plays Auburn every single season, even though it happened seven years ago now. It's just one of those plays that's going to go down in sports rivalry as one of the defining plays of the decade. It allowed Auburn to go beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, kick their way into their spot for the national championship and beat, oh God, who they beat? Texas? Was it Oregon? Oklahoma? I forget who they played. I didn't watch it. <laughs> wow. But, uh, what fan you are. But yeah. What a fan. But yeah, that, as the game was tied, with seconds draining off the clock, Nick Saban decides, oh, with our piece of trash kicker we're gonna go for a 60 yard field goal and put our best blockers out on the field who are all 400 plus pounds and oh they caught the ball and ran it back for a touchdown it was a dagger in the season oh yeah i was right 2013 was oklahoma Ooh, yeah proud yeah i i'm not gonna say that i'm surprised that your first play is a college one but i'm, I'm not surprised i'm gonna go with the iconic Derek jeter throw a jump throw from 1998 where he threw out it was Travis Ryman he got some major air I mean you probably could picture the jump throw in your head and he just nails them for short it just it's one of those photos that you that you even as a baseball fan have seen a hundred times so that's my play all right Parker how about you you got what's your number two all right this one might seem like a little bit of a cop-out but it truly blew my mind when I saw it and it was the Super Bowl 2018, when Philly did their infamous Philly special. Philly special? 
yeah, against New England. Okay. okay. Now, I know you're saying, oh, that only happened two years ago. That's a cop-out. Yeah, well, it was an iconic play against... It was pretty iconic. It was an iconic play against an iconic dynasty, and it was ultimately one of the momentum-changing plays that won Philadelphia their first Super Bowl. It really it, was a special play. It really stood out to me. And it was against one of the best teams ever. And yeah. I mean, the choices were, this was them going in the halftime. It was either kick a field goal or go up by 10. Which were you going to yeah. pick against New England going in the halftime? You're not wrong. It was it was, it was was pretty lit play when I yeah, first and saw it. Yeah, was, and it was on fourth and goal from the one. And it sparked a book, too. Like, it was quite the scene. I'm not even a Philly fan. but Yeah, I was I was at my friend's house who was a huge Eagles fan. And there were a couple other ones of us. None of the rest of us were Eagles fans. But we were all rooting for Philly. And that play was just... You know, it's like you kind of knew. Like, alright, Philly has a real chance here. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm actually I'm actually kind of surprised you went with that one. That's, that's a good one. I don't think it's a cop-out either. So, I'll give you some respect for that pick. Alright, Adam, how about you? Wait, can, uh, can I get... Is, is, is this an Alabama one? No, it's not. This one is not. Okay. Um, this one is actually it's uh, an another. This is another Super Bowl play. Okay. This I believe is from the Super Bowl the year before. Whatever one was the Atlanta Falcons versus the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, the play that sparks in my mind is the Julie Edelman catch to mark the comeback for the Patriots in that Super Bowl. Uh, like I, I don't like the Patriots. I'm a Tampa Bay fan, and I'm looking forward to this season for the first time ever because Tampa Bay is going to be okay, hopefully. But when I was watching that game, I was cheering for the the Falcons to win because I'm a huge Julio Jones fan. I thought Matt Ryan really deserved it. But the way the Patriots came out in that halftime and with that play to Julie Edelman, which I'm still not even like sure of how he made the catch, just marked down one of the best comebacks in sports history. Okay, I'm proud of you for not picking all Alabama. I'm really proud of you. The next um, one is, spoiler. Okay, I went with, I'm sure I'm the only one who picked the soccer one, and I went with Sergio Aguero versus QPR from May 13, 2012. It was like, Manchester United would have won the league, I think, or something like that, and it was Man City's final game, and like United had just won on back of Wayne Rooney, and Man City was still playing, and in extra time, it was 90 plus 5, and Aguero breaks in, and it's Balotelli, and he hits Aguero down the middle, and Aguero strikes it, and QPR gets relegated, and Martin Tyler just screams, Aguero! And it's the most iconic thing I've ever seen, and it's probably one of the reasons I got super into soccer, because it's just super iconic. I like the pick. Well, you were right. You are the only person probably to have uh, Thank you. soccer. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because I... <laughs> Parker probably doesn't have a Team Croatia play. You know what? Ah, but that's where you're wrong. Oh, okay. Here's why I list all of the uh, shootout wins. But uh, Modric scores a goal. Modric passes the ball. <laughs> no, but I actually really like the pick, and I I appreciate it, Berto. Okay. Thank you. I thank you. I feel appreciated. All right. Who was your last play? All right. This one's gonna. This one's not exactly a play. This one's kind of cheating a little bit. Same. I pick one as well. Go ahead. This one's a little bit off the board here. I'm going to go to the 2017 Stanley Cup playoffs. Chicago Blackhawks versus Nashville Predators. Oh, no goals. So this one, the Chicago Blackhawks finished first in the Central. 
and Nashville Predators were the West Conference's second wild card. This was the first time a number eight seed swept a number one. Yep. And not only did Nashville sweep them, they bodied them. In four games, the Blackhawks only scored three goals. The first two games, Pecorine had back-to-back shutouts, and he had two assists in game two. And then in in <laughs> game three, that. in game three, he was still he went like the whole first period and like half the second before the Blackhawks finally scored a goal. And then the Predators won that game in overtime. And then the fourth game, the Predators just smoked the Blackhawks 4-1. to Now, what makes this so important? Because this was the playoff series that ended the Chicago Blackhawks dynasty. And yeah. they, they have never recovered from this. Every time they used to play the Predators in the postseason, they would destroy them. So this was, was sort of the other way around. Was this and, the year where they traded Panarin after the season? Th- yes. You know, I remember... This was the year of the tagline, one goal, and through three games, they only scored one goal. <laughs> yep. That's a really good one. A round of applause. Yeah, because after this, the dynasty ended. They tore everything. Well, they didn't tear everything down, but it's like they're doing like a mini rebuild. They basically tore everything down. Okay, that's a good one. All right, Adam, take us away. My last Bama play. This one goes back to the only a couple of years ago to the 2018 national championship game against Georgia. Alabama goes, <laughs> let me pull up the exact stat line. They had started the game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. This is when they went down at halftime. Oh, let me even see. Yeah, 13 nothing. <laughs> and they decided at halftime to put in Tua Tonga Viola, true freshman out of Hawaii. And uh, future Miami Dolphins Ring of Honor player. Yeah. And <laughs> they go into overtime after our kicker, Andy Papanastas, banks it off the field goal post and goes in, but there's a penalty and he has to re-kick it and it's wide left. Goes into overtime. Rodrigo Blankenship nails a 50-yard field goal like it's nothing. Alabama's back against the wall. 23-20. Tua takes a 19-yard sack, a 16-yard sack, and on second and 26, throws a Hail Mary pass to Devontae Smith Jr. right in the end zone, wide open. Nobody's even near him. Ends the game instantly. And Jalen Hurts is bye-bye as starting quarterback, and Alabama wins their fifth national championship since Nick Saban became head coach in 2007. Uh-huh. You know, I was really hoping you uh, would have diversified your portfolio a tad, but it's okay. It's still a fantastic play. If you are a football fan and you watch that series of plays, you have to respect it. Okay. Snap time. (laughs) All right. Last play for myself. I went with, it's not really a play. I cheated like Parker did. Parker, you talked about Carey Price last, uh, when we were talking about the the mock draft, right? You alluded to him. Okay. What year was Carey Price drafted? 2005? Okay. In that draft, you might recall that Pierre Maguire was one of the lead analysts. And when the pick got announced that the Montreal Canadiens had selected Carey Price, I think it was eighth overall, Pierre Maguire now infamously said, or I'm not going to quote him directly, but he basically said, and I'm using some of his own words, he did not know what was going on. The Montreal Canadiens already had a goaltender in Jan Donner. 
And if you don't know who Jan Donis is, it's because he was a nobody. And he thought Jan Donis was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he just didn't understand. He didn't think Carey Price was the future there. He didn't think he was a fit. He didn't have the potential. Pierre, I want you to look at me and tell me that Jan Donis is better than Carey Price in 2020. I rest my case. So that's my biggest play. Because as they say, stupid is as stupid does. And Pierre Maguire is one of the worst at hockey. So, like I said, I cheated. He's not mad. I'm that, still mad. That's more than just cheating, because that's not even a play. It is a play, because it's a journalist play, okay? I'm cheating. I'm going to assume that you're going with Carey Price running away with the award show in 2015. So Okay, we'll, we'll use that as my substitute, sure. <laughs> because it, it ties in. So that's basically it for today on our Legacy Series. Like I said, we're going to revisit that mock draft in June. Yeah, anything you guys want to add before we depart today? I know it's kind of a short show, but nothing's yeah. going on. Okay. One thing I did want to bring up is yesterday, all the major sports leagues in North America were on a conference call with Donald Trump. Uh, I think it was like Gary Bettman, Dana White, Adam Silver, Rob Manfred, like Roger Goodell. And I, it, and was, one, it, was, it was someone from like MLS and WNBA. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't remember who the, uh, yeah, I don't remember what her name is that runs the WNBA, and I don't remember what the guy, what the person's name is that runs the MLS is. Uh, the only team president thing that was not, like, present was the NCAA, because, let's be honest, nobody cares. Sorry, Adam. And then we had some news that they expect the NFL season to go on without issue. So, that's... I mean, no one cares about the preseason anyways, so... Yeah, that's true. And I know, we now know that for some of the other major leagues, like the NHL draft is going to be online or on phone, whatever you want to call it. The MLB draft will be online. The NBA draft, I think, is going to be online. And the NFL draft is going to be online. So this will be an interesting year for that. And one other thing is this was the last day of the NHL regular season was yesterday. I can't remember if it was Chris Johnson or somebody tweeted out that in an alternate universe, we still would have had 15 games to play. There would have been playoff spots up for grabs, so it really puts into perspective where we are just a month ago, you know? Speaking of that, I read an article that the NBA is thinking about just shutting down for the shutting down the season. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Same thing with the NHL. Well, I mean, obviously, it's a little late for that, but yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. Me personally, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Not just because this coulda woulda shoulda been the year for the lightning but also because it, it would i just personally think it's just kind of even though it is a unique situation it's kind of unfair for the athletes and for some teams that would that like went all in on the trade deadline for a chance at competing for the cup and now their cap is screwed because they lost if there, the second half of the year if there's anybody who should understand that life and more importantly sports are not fair it's athletes and guess what sometimes it's not fair sometimes the best team doesn't win and this won't be the first year without a cup. 2004, I'm pretty sure there was one in the 90s, too, where they locked out. It's just going to be a lockout season. I think at this the point... Last, you... The last time the NHL did not award a cup when there was an actual season was 1920. Interesting fact. I didn't know that. But more to the point, like, this is the first... Like, in recent times, we've seen it happen. It's not unprecedented to not have a cup awarded. And I think at this point, it makes sense. I, I mean, my team's a playoff team. 
I felt like the Penguins were going to do well this year, personally. I know you guys all both had great teams, too. The Avalanche were the best team in the West, I'm pretty sure, and won the top two. The Lightning looked like they were going to be world beaters again. But I think at this point, just purely from a fan perspective, I'd rather them cancel the season, cancel the playoffs, come back when next season when we have this whole thing hopefully figured out and honestly when it's safer for the players, staff, and, and people. Because, honestly, I don't think I'd want to see a Stanley Cup awarded in an empty building. I don't think that would be right. I think I'd rather them not award a cup and rather what would have been than know what it would be, personally. Because that's not the playoffs to me. But maybe I'm just alone in that. I don't know. All right, we're going to wrap. We should be back sometime soon with our next episode. And we're going to try to get some more guests on here as well. Being that we are in studio, we can kind of pack the house on the, on the chat here. And I do actually have a little something planned for a bigger group chat for us to do a podcast oh, on. Oh, man. Uh, here we go with the book club. No, actually, it's not the book club. By the way, thank you for reminding me. This week's Daft Picks book club, I'll be the first one to throw it out there. Behind the Bench by Craig Custance. Give it a read if you don't already have it. Great book. Um, I'm going to go with 1984 by George Orwell. Great book. Highly ooh. recommend reading it. Okay. Adam, do you have a book? How to um, Win by Nick Saban. Uh, <laughs> okay. We're going to wrap there. Thank you for listening, as always. And we hope you join us again next week, where we'll be continuing our legacy series because there is still no sports. So, yeah, keep it locked. See ya.